All right, good evening, everybody. Thank you. It's good to see you all. Welcome. Welcome to the third to last Saturday night service at Pillar Church of Oceanside. And by that, I mean, on November 1st, we will be back on Sunday mornings at Del Rio Elementary School. You can clap and applause. You can do whatever you want. You know, some of you are going to be here. If it was on Tuesday night, you'd be here. It's like, whatever. Just tell me where to be there, and I'll be there. Well, I'm telling you, on November 1st, we'll be at Del Rio at 10 a.m. We're going to be in the parking lot for now, and Lord willing, we'll be indoors at some point uh, shortly after that. But um, that depends on the school district. So, um, yeah. We are starting a brand new series this evening. So... Did everybody get a little um, ESV scripture journal that wanted one? little blue booklet-looking thing. If you did not get one, you would like one. Just raise your hand, and somebody will bring one to you. It looks like everybody got one that wanted one. Uh, if you're a note-taker, I know some of you are avid note-takers. This is just the scriptures written down with a whole page for you to write notes uh, alongside of that. So please take advantage of that if you desire to. You can see it's... Uh, first and second Peter and, and Jude, I think it's included in there as well. But we are only going through first Peter right now. Uh, we will be we'll be in here uh, probably all the way up until about Christmas time. So we're going to take it uh, line by line and go through this like we would normally do that. So let me give you a, just a little bit of an overview. Uh, normally I would do like a, some intro and kind of tie in the theme. But I just want to use this introductory time as an intro to the first Peter letter. So how many of you have read all of first Peter in its entirety? A show of hands right there. How many of you really enjoy first Peter? Right. Some people have already told me tonight, like, I love first Peter. It's my, one of my favorite books in the Bible, and that's great. So who wrote first Peter? First Peter. First Peter, that's right. No, no, it's not first Peter. Just, just Peter, uh, the apostle Peter. That is Simon Peter, right? One of the 12 disciples. Um, he was also sort of in the inner circle, if you want to call that. Uh, who else was in the inner circle with Peter? John, John, John and James. Right? We had Peter, John, and James. Those three would often be pulled off to the side with the Lord. They had sort of a unique access to Jesus. But I don't know about you. Sometimes when, when I think about Peter, I think about the guy who often acted before he thought. Right? He's the guy that rebuked Jesus. <laughs> He, he denied Jesus. He cut a dude's ear off. Right? Isn't that who you kind of think of? That's who I think about sometimes. But we cannot forget, this is the same guy that also walked with Jesus, prayed with Jesus. He was in the storms with Jesus. He got out of the boat and was walking toward Jesus. He had a firsthand witness to all that Jesus did. And then, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, who is it that preached at Pentecost? Peter preached an incredible gospel message, and how many came to faith that day? 3,000 people came to faith because of the boldness and power with which Jesus, or which with Peter, taught, empowered, of course, by the Holy Spirit. He would go on to continue teaching, encouraging the church at large, and eventually he would die for his faith. What you'll soon notice is that Peter doesn't really mention any of that that I just talked about in terms of his sort of pedigree when it comes to what's going on in his letter. His focus is on Jesus and his faithful followers. So we have a lot to learn from the Apostle Peter. 
All right, so what about this letter? Um, like most of its letters of its time, it was meant to be circular. So it wasn't sent to just one person or a group of people in one specific area. It was supposed to go from place to place. Um, and so the, the places that Peter mentions in the opening, which we'll read here in a minute, uh, places like Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, these are what in that time was known as Asia Minor, which today we would call, anybody know? Turkey, right? It's modern-day Turkey. That whole area is all Asia Minor, and this is where the letter would go town to town. So these people in the churches that we're talking about here are primarily Gentiles. So what is a Gentile? Not a Jew. Not a Jew. Like, just as quickly as we can get it to it, yes. A, a Gentile is a non-Jew, and that's an important fact. Um, and Peter is going to use a lot of Old Testament illustrations and he's going to use that to help sort of reshape the mind of these Gentile people who would have been completely excluded initially from being in the people of God. He's going to use these Old Testament illustrations to bring them in, to welcome them in to the people of God. So that's going to be awesome to watch that happen. The letter, approximately around 62 AD is when it was written. Uh, it's during the Emperor Nero's reign of the Roman Empire. And not long after his letters were written, likely from Rome, which we'll learn he calls Babylon, shortly after that, Peter was martyred. He was killed for his faith by the Emperor Nero. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, was also uh, martyred around this same time. So a lot of, a lot of really hurtful, deeply wounding things happening around this time to the Christian faith. So speaking of Paul, some people would call the Apostle Paul the Apostle of Faith. They would say that John was the Apostle of Love, and that Peter is the Apostle of... Anybody know? Hope. We often hear those three words together, right? Faith, love, and hope. So Peter, we're going to just see really quickly that he has a lot to say about hope. So ultimately, he's writing to encourage the believers in Asia Minor and that they would remain hopeful in Christ as they face persecution and trials of many kinds. So we sat around, kind of talked about what we wanted to do next, and then we came up with the title for the series, which we're calling Standing Firm in This Present Age. Standing Firm in This Present Age. That's the series that we're going to be walking through all of 1 Peter. We're going to see again and again how Peter is encouraging the, the, the original audience and us, by extension, that we ought to be standing firm now because we too are facing persecution and we too have to have our eyes fixed on Jesus and our hope in that is what sustains us. So we got a lot to learn. There's much application today as there was centuries ago. So we're going to pray and we're going to jump into the, the, uh, the message today. So you join me in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, Lord, we, we know that there is incredible truth and life found in the word of God. Pray, Lord, that as we sit and listen, God, that the spirit would be at work in us, stirring our affections, stirring us to hear and to listen and to apply these words. God, speak through me the truth that you have for us this evening, and thank you for your faithfulness God, to continue to reveal yourself to us in and through your word. So God, we thank you for all of these things, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay. So if you do have a Bible, or if you have a little ESV scripture journal, you can flip to First Peter. I will warn you, I'm gonna I'm gonna reference one other scripture in the Bible. So if you have just your little a little pamphlet thing, you're you're gonna want a Bible as well at some point. So we're in First Peter chapter one, and so I'm calling this message within our series Got Hope. There's a question mark on that. I was trying to imply that. Got hope. So I'm going to read First Peter chapter one, starting in verse one, and I'm just gonna read down to verse twelve, and then we're gonna go through this, okay? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, so we see just right off the beginning, uh, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who he calls the elect exiles. Elect, chosen by God. And they are not to consider themselves to be permanent citizens. Right? That's what it means to be exiled. It means you're far away from the place that you rightfully belong. In this case, the people Peter is referring to, which broadly includes us as well, are spiritual exiles. This place where we live, wherever it is that we call home, is not our home. Yes, we live here. We work here. We, we serve the Lord here. But our current place of residence does not determine our eternal residence. Right? I don't know about you, but that in and of itself right there should offer some tremendous encouragement, especially as we walk through difficulties, trials, challenges, all these things. We have the hope that this life is not the end. We have hope that it is setting the stage for the life to come. That's what is happening right now. We're, we're just setting things up for the life to come. So I want to point your attention also to the, to the working of the Trinity in this section. Look at verse 2 especially. We see that all of this is done according to the foreknowledge of who? Foreknowledge of the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood, right? 
We don't often see it so clearly listed, the, the roles of the Trinity all working at the same time. But here we see this. It's a great picture for us to be mindful of. Right? This is also another encouragement to know that we are never left alone, that the, the individuals of the, of the Trinity all working together simultaneously for our good and for their glory. Okay, so that's sort of his opening. We know who he's talking to. We know what the ultimate goal is at this point. Um, transition into the first main section with me, verses 3 through 12. So if you read Greek, anybody read Greek here? No? If you did, then you would know that verses 3 through 12 are one long sentence. It's one long complicated sentence, but it's one continuous thought. And so I'm going to break it down so that we can kind of help ourselves figure out what exactly Peter is saying. So everything begins with salvation. This is the anchor of, the, of this part of the text. And so think back. I asked Audrey if she would sing this song uh, for us today, and we sang it with her, the, the anchor of hope. So why is he the anchor of hope? According to the song we just sang, he's marvelous, wonderful, he's infinite, he's the author of all that's good, he's faithful, provider, giver of life, source of all power and love, gracious, compassionate, merciful, radiant, holy delight, beautiful father, victorious son. Source of unchangeable light. He's the refuge of strength to the end. Righteous Redeemer, mighty to save. He's the anchor of hope for the souls of men. So these reasons, and many, many more, are why Jesus is our anchor. But what I want us to see, and what Peter's talking about here, is what is it that we actually have hope in? Look again at verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled. We are born again to a living hope through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now, some of that work, I'll, I'll admit, is, is presupposed. In other words, the reader is presumed to know that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death in our place, and that he defeated sin and death as he rose from the grave. Now, Peter's going to spend some time in the letter. He's going to help us see those truths unpacked, but he wants the readers to be sure to know that we have something unique, special, and incredible in Christ. This is the hope that we have. It's new life in Christ Jesus. We're born again. So the living hope, it, it not only sustains us in this life, but there's more to that. We have an inheritance coming. He calls our, our inheritance imperishable and unfading and, what else, undefiled. It's kept for us in heaven. So keep in mind, family, that we are exiles here, right? We have a home that we will go to when our time on this planet is through. Eternity with Jesus is the best possible inheritance a human being could get. Can anybody think of a better inheritance than eternity with Christ. Well, if I'm honest, sometimes I, I do find myself getting maybe a little jealous when you see people like getting millions of dollars in inheritance or, you know, they inherit this big business or like these thousands of acres. I, I fight against a little bit of jealousy in that. I'm not going to lie to you. I have to remind myself often, not just when I'm facing these kinds of things, but often of my inheritance coming to me through Christ. I mean, think about it. How hopeful would it be to think that this life, with all of the pain and difficulty, yeah, there's 
wonderful moments mixed in all of that, but how hopeful it is, is, is that's all we have. This is all that we have to hope for. I don't think that's super hopeful. <laughs> you see, we, we're saved from sin and death. We know that. But we're saved to eternal life and dwelling with Jesus Christ himself forever. This is our spiritual inheritance. And it's sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13 tells us. So i got to ask you, church, how excited are you about this inheritance? Yeah. How many of you truly long for that day? I've had the conversation with my wife over the years, you know, sometimes in some churches, older folks would be, you know, prone to say things like, oh, I just can't wait till Jesus comes so I can be taken home, you know. I'm not pointing anybody out, you know, but you hear these kind of things, and we kind of agree that when you're younger, you're like, no, I'm not, I got a whole life to live, like, I'm not ready to go, don't come back, Jesus, just wait. Well, what we don't realize when we're young is that these folks that have been maturing in the faith, know what's on the other side. They know what the inheritance is that's coming, and they just can't wait. And I'm in that boat now. I'm like, all right, Jesus, you want to come fine? Because this life, as good as we think it is, is nothing compared to what is coming. And that hope, man, church, that is going to sustain you through any circumstance, any trial. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 5. I love it because it tells me that I'm being guarded by God's power through faith. So, let me ask you, are you keeping you guarded in, in your own power? I, I hope not, because if you are, it's not going to end well for you, I promise you that. God keeps us, he protects us, he equips us, he leads us as we seek to serve him as we spend our lives here on this planet. So, my friends, again, this one verse alone is enough to help us through those difficult times. Because the very next verse tells us that God's protection does not mean he's going to remove us from difficult or painful situations. I think we know that. But he will see to it that we receive our inheritance to be revealed fully in the last days. So here's kind of the heart of the message. In the meantime, we're here. We know there's something else coming. We know that we're going to be sustained. But in the meantime, church, right now, we are being prepared for glory. We're being prepared for glory. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. So how are we being prepared according to verse 6 through what various trials awesome how many of you really enjoy various trials you just can't get enough of those various trials like come on bring it no at the very least we don't look forward to them but let me tell you something they are necessary in our christian life and i really want for us to see their role and the significance that they play in our lives. So Peter uses illustration of gold being tested or refined by fire. So in order to remove the impurities from gold, you need to heat it up. Anybody want to guess how many degrees it takes to melt gold? At what temperature does gold melt? It's not 12 degrees. 1,948 degrees is what 
you need for gold to melt. So as you get it to that temperature and it melts, the impurities, or what's called dross, rises to the top. It's scraped off and pushed to the side. So you can imagine, this is kind of a, a dangerous thing to do. 1900 degrees is not something that you want to mess around with. So only the most gifted and, and skilled craftsmen would even dare try it. So it's said back in the day that the way in which goldsmiths would know that gold was fully refined is that they would be able to see their reflection in it. That was how they knew that the gold was fully refined. So he would keep it heated up, 1900 degrees, removing the dross until he could clearly see his reflection, and only then would he bring it out of the fire. So how's that for an illustration for what God is doing in us? We are being refined right now to fully reflect Christ. But it's for a purpose. It's not just so we look good or that we can see our reflection in this cool little thing. The purpose, according to verse 7, is that we are bringing praise, honor, and glory to God. Our trials, the, the heat, the pressure that we are under and facing, when we persevere through those things, we are actually bringing glory to God. That is the purpose of what we're doing. So when we face trials, you feel the heat all around you, press in and know that it's all for the glory of God. Now, yes, I get it. Easier said than done to just lean in and embrace and, and celebrate these trials. It's, it's difficult. But let me tell you, when you begin to live your life with an eternal perspective, your attitude and approach to spiritual growth will change. When you recognize and realize that what you're in for right now is actually preparing you to bring glory to God, not to say you're just going to go like, woohoo, running into battle, right? But something changes because you know it's for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to God. The point is, at the revelation of Jesus, that is, on his triumphant return, we have the opportunity to shower praise and glory upon him as a result of our hopeful and steadfast perseverance in this life. So in light of this, let me just share a quote I read this week in preparation for today. But suffering does not automatically bring glory to God and blessing to God's people. Some believers have fainted and fallen in times of trial and have brought shame to the name of Christ. It is only when we depend on the grace of God that we can glorify God in times of suffering. That's from Warren Beersby. So look, we need to keep this in mind. As we're walking through trials of various kinds, we have to depend on the grace of God to see us through. The moment you begin to take the wheel, you begin to take control, you run the risk of bringing shame upon the name of God. So as we're living all this out, we're doing so in light of a very interesting circumstance. Take a look at verse 8 with me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy inexpressible, filled with glory. So I'm not going to ask the question. I'm just going to rather make this statement. We have not, nor do we physically see Jesus right now. I was going to ask if anybody has, but I'm not. We don't see him physically, okay? We see his work all around us. That's evidence. But his face, we, we haven't seen. 
In spite of this fact, three things should be true according to verse 8. We love him. We believe in him. We rejoice in him. So these are the natural extensions of the Christian life. Though we do not see him, we love him. Why? Because he saved us and he's called us to eternity with him. That in itself is enough to love. We believe in him. We trust in who Jesus is, not only to save us, but to sustain us each and every day that we spend on this planet. Part of our belief is that sustaining hope that we have in him. It's a daily need, my friends. Daily need. And sadly, there are days that each and every one of us can point to in our lives where we've trusted ourselves more than we've trusted in the God of the universe. How does that happen? And we've got to be mindful of the fact that we are utterly reliant upon God for everything. And I know that we don't like to admit that because part of our old nature is that pride that pops up like, I got this. I'm good. Are you? I don't think so. How we view ourselves in this regard, our reliance on Jesus, has a direct correlation to our willingness to admit our own need. Right? We don't pick and choose how and when we need God, or at least we shouldn't. Let me point you back to the psalm that we read in our scripture reading, Psalm 25. Psalm 25. There are a lot of psalms that you can point to that express our need for God. Let me just read a couple of verses here again. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Are you waiting all the day long? Are you willing to wait all the day long to hear from the Lord, to be sustained by the Lord, to be protected by the Lord? Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And it goes on. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Are you being instructed? He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. You can go on and read. Like I said, there's many psalms that you can look at to see and express our need. Every hour of every day. We sing that song often, Lord, I need you. How often? Every hour. I'll save you from my singing it. But, Lord, I need you every hour. That's that's truth, my friends. Are you living in light of that truth? Or are you trying to do it on your own? As a result of our faith in Christ, we see in verse 9 that we obtain the proper outcome, namely, the salvation of our souls. Amen for that. All right. The final few verses of our passage today, are, I think they're kind of interesting. The first few times I read it, I was like, what are you, what are you saying here, Peter? Like, 
what, what is, what's at the heart of what's happening here? Well, I think at the heart is salvation itself. First, we see that it was foretold, prophesied by the Old Testament prophets. Right? You can go back to all the Old Testament prophets and read through these various prophecies about the Messiah, the Christ, who would come. And it seems by Peter's language that through their careful investigation into the grace that was to come, that is Jesus, the prophets, man, they, they wanted that truth to be true for them. Like they're investigating, they're searching, like, please let that be us. <laughs> let that be true for us. They were just wanting to see the Messiah come in their time. Well, that wasn't going to be the case. <laughs> Peter explains that in verse 12. They were not serving themselves. I think the most important aspect of this section for us is to, to see this distinction in the roles that are laid out here. Clearly, the Old Testament prophets, they had a role. That was to speak about the grace that was to come. They were telling, hey, this is going to happen. The Messiah is coming. He's going to rescue you. You'll be redeemed. Their whole role was to proclaim that truth. The Messiah was going to come, rescue the world from sin, and offer reconciliation to the Father. But there's a second role here at the end of verse 12. The good news of the gospel that was promised by God in the opening chapters of the Bible, that was then again predicted by the Old Testament prophets, that was then fulfilled by Jesus, must now be shared with the world. And that's where you and I come in. And that is likely where we will face various trials. As you go out and you spread this good news, you're going to face everything from indifference to mild disagreement to full-blown hostility. Nevertheless, we press on with hope, knowing that when we face these trials and when we persevere, we bring glory to God. So I want to close with uh, another quote from Warren Wearsby. It kind of ties all this together. He says, Hope does not put us in a rocking chair where we complacently await the return of Jesus Christ. Instead, it puts us in the marketplace, on the battlefield, where we keep on going when the burdens are heavy and the battles are hard. Hope is not a sedative. It is a shot of adrenaline, a blood transfusion. Like an anchor, our hope is in Christ, and it stabilizes us in the storms of life. But unlike an anchor, our hope moves us forward. It does not hold us back. So I just ask the question for all of us here. Got hope? Like, do you have what you need to sustain you through today and through every trial and tribulation that is going to come? as you are on mission, sharing the hope of the gospel for the world to see? Or is it, a, you're treating it as a sedative? It's just kind of laying back and going to sleep and just waiting, Lord, just, just come on back. It's not a sedative, my friends. I love that. It's a shot of adrenaline to get us into the fight, expecting the battle to come and then relying on the hope that we have in Christ, not only the hope that saves us, the hope that sustains us for what we have in eternity with him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. It's an amazing, incredible blessing that we have in you. 
God, not only the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life on this planet, who, who died in our place, who shed his blood and his body broken for us. But that's just the beginning. That's what, what makes the way for us to enter into a relationship with you that will be fully realized when we come into your presence and glorify us as we glorify you. But Lord, we've got work to do. That's clear. We know that we've been born again to a living hope. And we know that you sustain and guide and lead us every step of the way, Lord. Help us to get out of our own ways. God, help us not to, to do the work ourselves. No, we don't rely on ourselves. God, but we rely on your Holy Spirit, strengthen the Lord and your word to guide us and lead us and strengthen us. Now we need your help every hour. Give it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.